Today I'm going to be meditating on the fall of man from Genesis, from the perspective of Eve, but I'm going to start by reading the scriptures. So this is going to be Genesis 2.21 through Genesis 3.24. So 2.21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the trees, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For the Lord God says, knows that in that day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a desirable and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord said, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so some analysis uh, before I get into my retelling. How heartbreaking it must have been for God, though he knew that this moment would come from the very beginning. Every good gift comes down from the Father of Heavenly Lights, which is James 1.17, and he had bestowed the best he had upon Adam and Eve, the crowning glory of his creation. But what he wanted was a real relationship with them, in which they chose to obey him, not because they had no alternative, but out of love and respect. They had to have a choice in order to do this, so God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. Presumably that means right in the middle. They would have passed by this tree more often than any other in the garden. The choice was always right there in plain view. But when they were innocent, they didn't even notice it. Why would they? Every need they had had already been met. They trusted God implicitly. 
but then enter Satan, who would not be so called anywhere in the book of Genesis. Perhaps it was he who took the form of the serpent, or maybe he would just inspire the serpent to deceive Eve. In his cunning, he overlooked every blessing, every yes that God had given Eve, and focused entirely on the one no. It's also interesting that he approached Eve instead of Adam. God never told Eve anything about the tree directly. He told Adam that it was forbidden, and Adam had relayed this to Eve. This was before Eve was even formed. Her knowledge of what God had said about the tree was therefore secondhand. Because of that, just like playing telephone, she got it slightly wrong. So she thought that it had been forbidden to even touch the fruit of the tree. God never said that, which might have been significant. Perhaps when Eve touched the fruit and nothing happened, it convinced her that the rest was also false. Satan also convinced Eve to question God's character. Temptation to sin always includes some element of this. If she'd never wondered whether there was a blessing that God had withheld from her, she never would have eaten the fruit. That's in 2 Corinthians 11.3. Why was there nakedness, what they noticed first after the fall? So Andrew Womack's theory is that they were previously so dominated by their spiritual sight that they simply didn't notice the physical. I don't think that's totally true since everything else in the garden was physical, but it's true that they died spiritually as soon as they disobeyed God. It wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that the spiritual rebirth became possible. The challenge now is to renew our minds so that we can see into the spirit where we have every spiritual blessing available, Ephesians 1.3, rather than walking by sight, 2 Corinthians 5.7, is we walk by faith, not by sight. Immediately after the fall, Adam and Eve experienced fear for the first time also in Genesis 3.10. Fear does not come from God, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that. It only comes when we do not understand and trust in God's perfect love because perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4.18. But if they had understood God's perfect love, they never would have obeyed the serpent in the first place. Punishment did come, but it was not for punishment's sake. The world was now corrupted, and it was God's mercy that expelled them from the garden that they so that they couldn't eat from the tree of life and live forever in the that fallen state. God didn't want that for them, for them to be always decaying, but never dying, always separated from him, always in their sin. He wanted us to have eternal life, but spiritually, not just physically. Once they became aware of their nakedness, they needed to cover it, which required death. They died spiritually the moment they fell, but physical death would come for them centuries later. To cover them until then, God had to kill an animal, which was symbolic of Christ's ultimate atonement for all sin. That's Hebrews 9.22. So in the retelling that I'm going to tell, I chose a lion because Christ is referred to as both the Lion of Judah and also the Lamb of God. And I figured a single lamb probably wouldn't cover enough skin, produce enough skin to cover both of them, uh, for unless God wove the wool, wool, wove the, the, the wool into clothing. And it doesn't say that he did that. Uh, When God pronounced that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, this, of course, referred to Jesus. But it's interesting that part of Adam's curse was that the ground would produce thorns. And Jesus wore a crown of thorns on the cross, which was a symbol of bearing the curse for us so that we could be redeemed from it. That's Galatians 3.13. But Eve did not understand that the Savior would be many generations down the line. So when she gave birth to Cain, she said, Behold, I have gotten a man, the Lord. That's Genesis 4.1. Some translations will render that, I have gotten a man from the Lord, but the original Hebrew doesn't include the word from. So she presumably thought this was the Messiah come to redeem them already. And perhaps she hoped that through him, she and Adam would be able to return to Eden. But sadly, rather than becoming the redemption, Cain instead became the first murderer. When Christ comes the second time in the new Jerusalem, the tree of life will again be freely available to the redeemed in Revelation 2.7, and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations, Revelation 22.2. Then, restored to our original perfection, eternal life, body, soul, and spirit will be ours again. Okay, so I'm going to go through the retelling from Eve's perspective. I breathed in, and I was. The air filled every part of me with life. This was the first thing I knew. Then I opened my eyes. 
the face I beheld was like light itself, though there was also light behind him. I had no concept of anything until that moment, but that face was the very definition of beauty. I gazed up at him, rapturous. His eyes were like liquid love, bursting with color, their expression infinitely gentle. "'Hello, my dear,' said my creator. "'Hello,' I murmured back in wonder, marveling at the sound of my own voice, at the feel of it vibrating in my throat. On instinct, I reached for him, but had not fully completed the action when I stopped, distracted by the wonder of my own limbs. I held them up before my face, wiggling my fingers and watching them obey me. My creator chuckled, and the sound thrilled me with warmth. I shivered, every nerve humming with the sensation.' We are Elohim, the Creator told me. You may call me God. God, I whispered, reaching again for his face. He did not repulse me, but he let me caress him. Leaning into my palm and covering it with his own, he grinned down at me and I reflexively grinned back. Come, there is someone I want you to meet, God said. He set me on my feet and I marveled at the feeling of the spongy, dewy ground beneath my feet. As soon as I noticed the sensations, the words for them came to me. I marveled at that too, that I knew so many things I had never learned. I looked up at God, and though before I had thought of him as infinitely larger than I was, I found that he was only about a head taller. He held my hand in his. He shone like the orb overhead that bathed us all in its light. I turned my attention to it next, and then to all it illuminated. There was a canopy of green above us, the foliage of thick trees. I identified the sounds around us as flowing water and chirping birds. I turned to see the cheerful river behind us. Flowers of every color, shape, and size bloomed all around, and living creatures hummed around them all. "'Hummingbirds, butterflies, and bees. "'Other creatures covered in fur or feathers "'roamed throughout this land, too, "'each of them unique and lovely in its own way. "'What is this place?' I asked in wonder. "'Do you like it?' he asked, "'but the delight in his question made it clear "'he knew my answer already. "'Oh, yes! "'I have called it Eden. "'I made it for you, Adam.' "'I turned back, excited to hear my own name. "'Am I called Adam, then? "'You were taken from Adam, your husband. "'I have given him the task of naming all my other creatures, "'so I will give him that privilege with you as well. "'Until then, you too are Adam.' God gestured before us under a palm tree. This is your Adam. He is called a man. A new sensation stirred in me as I beheld the creature God indicated. The man had flesh instead of fur or feathers like I did. My eyes traced the curve of his face, his strong jaw beneath his dark beard. My mouth fell open in awe. Like all the animals, he too was beautiful, but in a completely new way. His kind of beauty allured me in a way that none of the other animals had done. As I took all this in, he sat up as if waking from a deep sleep. Then he saw me. His expression went slack, and I watched, gratified as he drank me in as I had him. Slowly he rose to his feet and took tentative steps toward me. Beside us, God beamed, delighting in our admiration of each other as much as we were. He said, Adam, meet your helper. I have fashioned her from one of your ribs. I trust you prefer to have it back in this form. Adam's eyes filled with tears as he turned to God, unable to speak, the gratitude obvious in his face. Then he looked back at me and spoke. I could tell, even though I had never heard him speak before, that his voice was hoarse with emotion. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When he got close enough, he reached for my face in the same way I had originally reached for God's. I copied the motion, laying my hand on top of his when he touched my cheek. I will call her Eve because she will be the mother of all the living. Eve, I repeated, trying the sound of my own name on my tongue. I liked it. I smiled at Adam and he smiled back at me. There was nothing more to say. I will leave you two to get acquainted, God murmured and took his leave. For a second, the thought that he was gone alarmed me, but then Adam slid his hand from my cheek to my hand, entwining his fingers with mine. When I turned back to him, the expression on his face was so full of tenderness that I felt answering tears prick in my, eye, in my eyes. "'You are exquisite,' Adam whispered to me. The words filled me up almost the way that first breath had done. I had not known I wanted to be exquisite until my husband said it, but suddenly it was all I wanted. 
Aren't you going to show me around? I teased, though I was very pleased that he could not seem to look away from me. I will try, but I cannot promise I will be able to walk without tripping over my own feet, he replied in the same tone. I'll be too busy looking at you. I giggled, marveling at that that instinct, too, and delighting at the feel of it. Somehow I knew what laughter was. Adam led me through the garden by the hand, calling the animals to him by name and then showing them to me. I reached out to caress them all, from the elephant to the lion to the mouse, and they nuzzled me affectionately in return. I gestured to the lion and his, to, to the lion to open his mouth for me, marveling at how sharp his teeth were. He let me poke them with the tip of my finger, patiently waiting for me to extract my hand before he went about his business. I watched as he used those sharp claws to dig up root vegetables hidden in the earth, so hard that I would have not, have not have considered them food, but the lion's incisors tore into the vegetables with no trouble at all. My own stomach growled as I watched the lion eat. Adam explained, "'You are hungry. Here.' He plucked a bunch of berries from a tree, handing them to me. Then from another, he plucked something very hard and brown. I frowned at it, unsure how it might turn out to be food like the berries, until Adam showed me how to remove the outer shell to reveal the soft meat inside. Nuts, he called them. When I tasted them both, my face lit up with delight as the flavors exploded on my tongue, tart and sweet and savory all at once. What about that one? I pointed at a tree that bore round fruit that looked like burnished gold. You want one of those? Adam grinned, trotting over to the tree and plucking two of the golden fruit. He returned and handed me one, taking a bite out of the other himself. I think this one is my favorite, too. God called it the tree of life. So many different kinds of food, I exclaimed, looking around the garden to see if I could distinguish all the fruits from uh, around me from the flowers. God gave us all of the green herbs and fruits with seeds for fruit, Adam explained, except for the one in the middle, the one that makes those sort of oddly shaped reddish brown fruits. See? He pointed at the tree next to the tree of life, and I nodded. Why not that one? I asked. He said it is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said that we shall not eat it, for the day that we eat of it, we shall surely die. For the briefest second, I felt an ominous shadow pass over my heart at these words. Die? What did die mean? But then it was gone. I shrugged. We had plenty of other trees to choose from. I saw no reason to bother about that one forbidden one. The day began to wane, and the light changed from white to golden before we had finished our tour of Eden. I pointed up at the sky with a slight questioning frown, though I wasn't concerned so much as confused. It is called sunset, Adam explained. Day and night lasts a total of 24 hours. It's not precisely 12 and 12 hours of day and night, but close. God says the ratio between the two will change with the seasons. What are seasons? I asked, wide-eyed. Adam shook his head. I don't know. I don't exactly know. I haven't seen them yet, but God says that when the we- it's when the weather changes and the sun and the celestial bodies change their positions throughout the year. I thought about how I knew that 12 and 12 made 24. This too delighted me. But I forgot all about addition when I watched as the colors changed across the sky, from golden light to pinks to golds and purples. I I gasped and clapped with delight. God, I called out to him, suspecting he was not far away. Good show! He emerged from the trees in the cool of the day, strolling unhurried and beamed at us. Thank you, my dear, he said, sitting down on the marshy grass beside us. We sat too, and I leaned into his gleaming white robe, nestling my head on one of his shoulders. God stroked my long, dark hair away from my face. I sighed with contentment. Adam sat down on God's other side, interlocking elbows and also leaning into him. The three of us watched as the sun descended below the horizon, and then suddenly the darkness was not just darkness. "'What are those?' I exclaimed in wonder, pointing up at the tiny pinpricks of light in the dark sky. "'And that,' I pointed, the large glowing orb spangled with shadows. "'The moon and stars,' God explained. "'The moon is to govern the night just as the sun governs the day. "'Stars are just like the sun, but much, much further away in outer space.' "'What is outer space?' I asked, wide-eyed. "'It is where the earth is hung, and there are planets also, though not exactly like earth. "'Earth is very special,' he told me with a tender smile, touching the tip of my nose affectionately. "'Satisfied, I nestled back against him, yawning.' Why do I feel so tired? Because it is time for you to sleep, God whispered, lowering me down to the spongy ground beside my husband who automatically wrapped an arm around me. It restores your energy so that you will be fresh again tomorrow morning. 
I did not hear the last of God's words before I drifted off. The first rays of the sun filtered through my eyelids the following morning. They fluttered open, and I sat up, mouth agape in wonder yet again as the same colors from sunset danced across the sky at sunrise as well. I glanced at Adam, who somehow managed to continue his slumber despite the light. A little family of squirrels slept on the ground near us, and beside me, a bear stretched its sharp claws, yawned, and took a swipe at the fruit on the nearby tree. I skipped over to him and stroked his fur in good morning. But then I jumped back, not from the bear, but from something living in the branches of the tree beside us that I had not seen before. It looked like one of the branches itself, but it seemed to slither. My eyes scanned until I found first its tiny legs and then its face. The eyes sharpened upon me, and it opened its mouth. "'Good morning, Eve,' it hissed." I had not heard any of the other animals in the garden speak besides Adam, myself, and God, but everything was new to me, so I thought nothing of it. "'Good morning, serpent,' I greeted it, remembering the name Adam had given the creature. I was just reaching for the same fruit the bear had breakfasted on when the serpent said, "'You don't want to eat from this tree. The fruit is very bitter.' "'Oh,' I hesitated. But then I shrugged, turned to a vine nearby bearing clusters of juicy-looking red grapes. But the serpent's words stopped me again. "'You know which fruit tastes more delicious than all the others?' I looked at him, curious, and he gestured with his head toward the center of the garden. That one. A tree of life? I asked, delighted. Yes, Adam and I sampled it yesterday, and it was my favorite so far. No, not that one. The one beside it, the serpent hissed. The one with the reddish-brown fruit. I frowned. The one from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The serpent nodded, and I said, But Adam said God forbade that one. Is that right? The serpent hissed, slithering its head closer to me. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I frowned, trying to puzzle out the meaning of this phrase. The negatives in it confused me. When I finally worked out its meaning, I said uncertainly, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. I thought that was what Adam had told me. It had been something like that anyway. Ah, hissed the serpent, his fork-like tongue flicking out toward me as he spoke. You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I blinked at the serpent, then turned to look at the tree. I tried to process the serpent's words. He was saying God lied to us? That he was withholding a blessing from us out of jealousy? The thoughts felt clunky and unfamiliar. They made no sense. God was perfection. Our only experience of him was that he was good and kind and wonderful. He loved us. I paid almost no attention to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before. Yet now that the serpent pointed it out to me, I noticed that the fruit, strange-looking though it was, did look enticing. And the serpent said, even God had said, that the tree would make us wise, as God himself was wise. And after all, if God had not wanted us to eat of it, why did he bother to put that particular tree in the midst of the garden, I reasoned. I took a hesitant step toward the tree, and then another and another, until I stood right in front of it. I reached out and touched one of the reddish-brown fruits, cringing for half a second, but nothing happened. It was just like touching any of the other fruits in the garden. I laughed exultant and plucked the fruit from the branch, all hesitation now forgotten. What are you doing, Eve? I turned to see Adam standing beside me, a note of alarm in his voice. A new emotion of defiance rose up in the inside of me. I had just proven that what Adam told me God had said about the tree had been false, hadn't I? I had touched it and I had not died. I plucked the second fruit from the tree and tossed it to Adam. Then, before he could stop me, I opened my mouth and took a bite. Eve, no! Adam shouted, reaching out as if to dash the fruit from my hand. But it was too late. I chewed, savoring the delicious burst of sweetness across my tongue. For a brief second, I relished the thought that the serpent was right. This fruit was indeed the best I had yet tasted. But just as quickly, a bitter flavor overtook the sweetness. I made a face, dropping the remainder of the fruit to the ground and staring at it. I had a sudden urge to wash away the taste. "'You shall die!' Adam croaked. His expression cut me to the heart. Suddenly, I felt a new, another new emotion come over me. Horror. What had I done? "'It was only one bite,' I whispered back. 
Suddenly the wind whipped around my body and I looked down. A hot wave of shame passed over me as I realized I was naked. I dropped to a crouch to cover myself, a sudden impulse from an instinct I had not had before. How had I not noticed? How had Adam not noticed? He was naked too, yet he still stood unashamed, displaying himself before me and all the creatures in view. We had been naked before God himself. Adam's focus was not on his body, though. It was on the fruit I had given him. If you must die, then I must die with you, he murmured, raising sorrowful eyes to me. I do not want to live without you. Then he opened his mouth and, despite the look of disgust, also took a bite. He chewed and swallowed, then dropped the remains of the fruit on the ground as I had done. He stared at it with sudden revulsion. Then he looked down at his body, and I saw his cheeks color as he realized what I had realized a second before. He moved both hands to cover his nudity. How did we not know? He moaned. Oh, how shameful. All the animals have fur or feathers, but we... I agreed, wincing. What are we to do? We must at least cover ourselves somehow before God returns. Adam shrugged, biting his lip. He gestured with his chin to the leaves of the tree from which we had just eaten, unwilling to move his hands away from his genitals. I'll try to sew together some of these leaves, he said, but I'll need to use my hands to do it, so you have to promise not to look. You have to promise not to look at me either, I declared. Adam gave me a sad smile, but you are so beautiful. I narrowed my eyes at him, not in the mood. He sighed. All right, I promise. Turn around. I obeyed, but since we had promised not to look at each other anyway, I decided I might as well make myself useful and approached the tree where I had seen the serpent. Both serpent and bear were now gone, so I began to pluck the tree, the leaves from that tree, wondering how Adam intended to weave them into clothing. I collected a pile of leaves, then stripped some of them down. To, to just the stalk that ran down the center of the leaves, thinking that would somehow serve as thread. I started to knot some of them together and then poked holes in the remaining leafy part of the other leaves so as to thread the knotted leaf stem through them. It was slow work, and many of the leaves tore before I could connect them enough to do any good. I finally managed to make myself a little apron to at least cover my genitals, but it was a poor covering indeed and hid very little. I realized I'd have to, co- to connect many more leaves to cover my breasts, and the sun was already past peak in the sky. I decided instead to try to find something sticky so that they could adhere directly to my body. I tried clay, but that all that lasted all of two seconds. Then, instead, I used a bit of sap from a tree. This worked better, but it meant everything else I touched adhered to my hands. Eve! Adam hissed, and I perked up my ears, at once understanding what he meant. We both heard the sound of footsteps and knew they belonged to God. My poor leaf apron fluttered to the ground as I fled, hiding with Adam among the underbrush. The branches poked at us, but I hardly noticed, my heart pounding so hard with fear that we would be seen. Once in the bushes, I tried to wipe the remaining sap off my hands and on its leaves, but found that it would not go. "'Stop it, he'll hear you,' Adam hissed, still stilling my fidgeting hands. Just then we saw God enter the clearing from behind, between the branches of our hiding place. I suddenly envied him, his gleaming white robe. When his face turned so that we could see it from our hiding place, I saw his puzzled, slightly concerned expression. "'Adam, where are you?' God called out. I looked at Adam, shaking my head sharply, but I saw that he intended to reply. He opened his mouth and called back, "'I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself.' Now God turned and looked straight at the bush where we hid. Adam stood up, only so high as to expose his chest, still kneeling to conceal the rest of him. God's expression grew stern. "'Who told you that you were naked?' he demanded. "'Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat?' Adam trembled and then pointed at me, still fully crouched beside him. "'The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate.' My mouth fell open, indignant, but then I realized that I could not truly protest. His statement was quite true. God turned to me. "'What is this you have done?' he demanded." It took me a moment to find my tongue. When I did, I blurted, The serpent deceived me and I ate. 
God waved his hand, and the serpent appeared from nowhere on the ground between him and us. The sky grew dark, and God said in a terrible voice to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go. And as he pronounced this, the serpent's legs dissolved into nothingness until he was all tail. And you shall eat the dust of all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Even as God spoke it, I saw its fulfillment in my mind's eye. My seed would be my son. He would conquer the serpent. He would redeem Adam and me from what we had done. He would be the Lord himself. No sooner had God finished speaking, though, he turned to me. I was compelled to look at his face, and I saw at once mingled anger and heartbreak. It made me want to weep. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. I bowed my head, accepting God's punishment. Since I got us into this mess, it was only fair that I should labor and travail to bring forth the Savior who would get us out of it. And Adam was right. It was my choice to disobey God, not his, at least not originally. If I had listened to my husband, none of this would have happened. Then God turned to Adam, who trembled under God's gaze. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam buried his face in his hands and wept. God's expression sank into sorrow as well, all his anger now spent. Lion, he called out, and summoned the creature I had met the morning before. The great cat bounded toward the Lord, frolicking around him playfully and swishing its tail this way and that. The Lord caressed its mane tenderly. Then, with one swift jerk, a horrible crack sounded. I screamed, and the lion slumped lifeless. I could not stop screaming, even though Adam hushed me as best he could. Even God wept openly now. The wages of sin is death, he said to us, a terrible grief in his voice as he removed the lion's skin and knit it together into tunics to clothe us. When he had finished, he approached the bush where we both shied away from him and deposited both tunics upon the top of the bush, turning away from us. Adam shimmied into his first, standing up fully for the first time once he was covered. Then I did the same, standing beside him. We heard Elohim say to himself, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. He turned back to face us, tears still flowing freely. You must leave the garden now, he said, and go out into the wilderness and make your way as best you can. To live forever in your current state would be a fate far worse than death. Fresh tears gushed onto my cheeks at this word. But you said my seed would crush the head of the serpent, I blubbered, hardly able to make myself understood. He will redeem us, surely. Yes, daughter, he will, God assured me, but not for what to you will seem a very long time. So Adam took my hand and led me through our lush home for the last time. Beyond it lay nothing but desert. We would survive, of course. I must bring forth a man, so we must survive somehow. Death, it turned out, was not immediate. And yet, leaving the garden and leaving the Lord God behind us was a kind of death. For the lion, death had certainly been immediate, and I thought I thought with a pang of sorrow. And the poor lion had done nothing wrong. It died for our sin, to cover our nakedness. I turned around to look back at the garden one last time. A ring of creatures that looked like the Lord in luminous, uh, luminescence stood b- before the tree with the golden fruit, bearing swords that shone like the sun. Then I turned away again, looking out into the wilderness that was to be our new home. But we will still return one day, I whispered to Adam as we walked out into the desert. Right? One day, he whispered back and squeezed my hand. So I hope that helped it to come alive for you. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. 
For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren Deville. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.